Now, you may have noticed that um, that hymn began with the word Father. And the last hymn will do the same. And the hymns that I've chosen have tried to uh, portray uh, the love of a father, particularly our Father God. Uh, And uh, as we come this morning to worship our Father God through Jesus, we also on this day think of our own fathers being Father's Day. And that's why I'm glad we do have some men here this morning. It would be an interesting message if I was speaking all to ladies. So it's a day in which many come together to celebrate fatherhood. I think some countries tend to do this more than others. And they have massive uh, movements of people to their family home, uh, perhaps more than that we do. And I think that fatherhood within our um, society is something that we need to celebrate. In our day and age, we tend to know how much society has tried to, to discount the role of father in the life of a child. I'm not going to go too much into that, uh, except to say that TV most usually depicts fathers who are men with a spine, but without a clue. There are groups out there today, as you will probably know, have heard, have read in the news, who are telling society that fathers are not important. Sadly, the role of a father is often shut out of the lives of some families, either through circumstances or through some deliberate action right at the start. I have at times read or heard single mothers reportedly saying that their child or children do not need a father and that they can get on quite well without them. That's very sad, as I'm sure that you will agree. And I look back with fond memories of my own father, who went to be with the Lord back in 1981, aged 72. And he was a man who I love very dearly, and still miss him to this day, as I'm sure can apply to many of you too. Each year, more and more children are raised in homes where there is no father present. So one wonders why fatherhood takes such a bad rap. And I also wonder that could it be that today when we speak about how God our Father about God our Father, how many people do not get a favourable impression about God because of their own family situation, uh, because they do not perhaps have a father or they have an abusive father. And I find it very interesting that in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, God 
is called Father. And to us, what better word can we have for him? In the Old Testament, God isn't referred to so very much as Father. Uh, And that's because there was a different relationship between God and his people in those days. It was mostly done through other people, through prophets, through priests. And there was not this concept of fatherhood between God and his people. But when Jesus came, he brought us more into a father-child relationship with God. With his father, because he had a relationship with God, his Father, and he brought us into that relationship. In our reading this morning, you can see straight away the relationship that the Father had with the Son and the Son with the Father. I think that was a very precious word that John put there into his Gospel. The prayer of Jesus showing his wonderful relationship with his father and the father with him. It was a deep and intimate relationship. But it was also a very submissive relationship. You can see that Jesus was submitting himself to his father in a very real and positive way. We don't need a priest now in order to lead us to God. That is what they had in the Old Testament. Because we, through the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus, can come to him directly through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus himself. And it was Jesus that made this change possible. I'm going to read to you from Romans, a few verses from chapter 8. And it's from the message version, which comes a little clearer. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Father? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are. Father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. And then in Galatians 4, verse 6. And because we are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So now we can rightly speak of God as our dear father. So what is it about God that makes it possible for us to be able to call him our father? The relationship between a father And a child is a very personal one. 
Is a person just a father because they participated in a birth? Or is or, or, or a child, or, or is more to it than that? Is there more to it than that? I believe that not every man who fathers a child is a father. A father goes far deeper than that. More than just helping to bring a child into the world. That is the beginning. And today I want us to look at what one might call the ultimate father. The one who not only has brought a child into the world, but progresses through the life of that child. One who provides for us to earn the right to be called father. And I want us to look at an appropriate response that we should have to this ultimate father. And of course you know I'm speaking to our father, about our father God and to our earthly fathers. So the ultimate father provides many things. And the first thing that that father provides is love. God earns the right to be, called, to be called father because he has provided love for us. And that is a very important thing. There's some passages in scripture which portray this and show it more clearly. The first is in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over to us, over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Ephesians 2.4 But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And then Paul in 2, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2. How may our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And God our father. Who has loved us and given us eternal comfort. And good hope by grace. 1 John 4. In this is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And finally in John 3.16, which I'm sure we could all recite by heart. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God loves us with an unconditional love, there are no conditions attached to his love for us. And this is the type of love that a real father has for his children and for his family. Not just a birth father, but a father who continues through the ages to come, the years to come, still showing that love. A father earns the right to be called a father by his love. John, 1 John 3 verse 1 says this again in the message version. What marvellous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are, we are called children of God. 
That's who we really are. But that's also while the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. And a father who loves his children will provide structure and discipline for them. That brings us on to the next point. We have love and we have discipline. All these things which not only a father extends to their own children, but God extends to us. Discipline. A loving father will, be, will do one of the toughest things that a father will have to do, and that is to discipline his children. We read in Proverbs 3.12, it's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all this. And the word discipline means to train, to teach, and there are various other words that we could use. It comes from the word in which we get disciple. So we are disciples of God because he disciplines us. He teaches us. Sadly, society today seems to think in many areas that a father or a family should not discipline their children. But I think that people who think that way do not understand what discipline really is. There's a big difference between abuse and discipline. Discipline is meant to teach with love a child. To teach them a lesson. God disciplines us. Because he loves us as a father. And there are times when we need to learn a lesson. And because God disciplines us. He loves us. And that can work the other way around as well. Because he loves us. He disciplines us. Many times we attribute various things to God. Illness, for example, as a discipline from God or something which he has sent to us because of our sin. There are lots of folk who believe that. But more times than not, these are just part of the course of life. But God disciplines us because he loves us and because we belong to him. And he wants to see us on the right path, following his way. He wants us to be the best that we can be. This should be what we, as earthly parents, as earthly fathers, want also for our children. I'm going to read you a passage from Hebrews chapter 12. Again, it's from... The message version, which makes it a little clearer. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. If the child he loves, that he disciplines, 
The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. But always feel like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So you see, the ultimate father not only uh, provides love, but he also provides discipline to his children. And Paul, could, or rather the writer to the Hebrews, may not have been Paul, um, could clearly see this and was sharing it with the people of God. So, love and discipline. But then we come to the third point of this section, and that is physical needs. This is the need of which most fathers have a good understanding. A father will take his son playing football and uh, all sorts of other things that they uh, love to do together. We know that if we do not work, we do not eat. A father will uh, show their child the best way of conducting their lives so that when the time comes for them to go out to find a job, to earn a living, he will be there, hopefully, to guide them. We do not work, we do not eat. And this relates to the father as well. One of the responsibilities we take on as fathers is taking care of our family's physical needs with food and shelter and clothing. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our own personal desires to what we have so that we can provide for our family. God earns the right to be called our father because he takes care of our needs. We've been reading that, we've been singing that, and no doubt you have read that in your own private devotions as well. God takes care of our physical needs. There's a passage in James, James chapter 1, A couple of verses, again from the message version. So my dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. 
So God promises that if we seek him, then he will provide for our physical needs. The difficulty for fathers is this. We think that we have to work ourselves to the bone to provide for our family's needs. And as good as this economy is supposed to be, we live in a, we live in a tough area in order to make a living. Along with our family's physical needs, we also remember their emotional needs. And that's the next point. Emotional support. Many times people have the misconception that if you belong to Jesus, that nothing bad will happen to you. Or that you will not have any tough times in life. There are ministers and preachers uh, in various places who openly declare this to be part of God's word and his promise to them. And this is far from the reality of life as well. Because these tough times, these difficulties, are given to us in Scripture. Brenda and I use our, uh, our daily bread devotions each morning. And uh, yesterday was on this very subject. Here's a snippet of what we read. Jesus explicitly warned his disciples that rough waters were ahead. He told them that they'd be persecuted and martyred and that he would die and be resurrected. He also guaranteed his trustworthiness, affirming that he would guide them towards undeniable triumph and everlasting hope. Although it would be nice if life were easier, when we follow Jesus, he made it clear that his disciples would have troubles but he promised to be with us. Trials don't define, limit, or destroy God's plan for us because, God, because Jesus' resurrection has already propelled us to victory. So we see that God's promise to us is that he will be there to help us through the rough times in life. We remember after the death of Jesus, the early Christians had much persecution, much more than ever we will experience here in our day. Peter, in his epistle, says this, cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. So in the difficulties that come our way, Rather than close ourselves up, he asks us to open ourselves to the living God through the Lord Jesus and to cast all our worries and cares on him. Hebrews 13.5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. And there's a promise. I will never desert you and I will never forsake you. God does give us stability in our lives that we so desperately need in life. And then the writer of the Hebrews again says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yesterday, today and forever. 
how he was in the past, he is today. He provided in the past, he will provide today to you and to me. Jesus is the one constant thing, or constant person, should I say, in our ever-changing lives. He does not vary. He does not make a decision one day and then change it the next. He is totally, totally faithful to us. We all need something and someone to anchor ourselves to. Another passage in Hebrews chapter 6. When God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt, putting his own reputation on the line. He said, I promise that I will bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and bless. Abraham stuck it out and got everything that he'd been promised to him. And when people make promises, they guarantee them to a by appeal to some authority above them, so that there is any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee that God cannot break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We have run for our very lives to God, have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual line, lifeline, reaching past all appearance, appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus, running ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest to us in the order of of Melchizedek. So God is certainly there today as he was right back in the days of Abraham. His promises then are true today. And when Jesus was here, he emphasized those promises. God is certainly there to look after his children, to bless us in every way that he has promised us. He's faithful to us whilst we are faithful to him as was Abraham depicted in that passage. God our Father loves us and provides for us for our every need according to his promise in Jesus. He's there for us. He provides love. He provides discipline and for our physical needs and our emotional support. We need also to be there for our children as much as we can. Whether they are tiny, whether they are grown, as fathers, we need to be there for them. In the same way that God, our Father, is here also for us. As we're doing what we should be doing as parents, what kind of response should we expect from our children? And as we look at this, we think about the response that God wants from his children. One other thing I want us to think about, is God's love for us conditional upon our response? I'm sure that 
For some, the answer would be yes. Indeed, the answer is no. And our love for our children should also be unconditional in every way. A child's response should be three things. Love, respect, obedience. In Mark 12, Jesus tells us the following. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's how God the Father expects us to love him. He's earned the right for us to do that. As his sons, as his daughters, we are to love our Heavenly Father and appreciate him in all that he does for us and give him the love that he deserves. Number two, respect. Love is something that uh, we have for God, for our own fathers, but something that needs to go with that love is respect. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When the Bible tells us to fear God, it means that we are to respect him, not to get down with trembling knees, but to have respect for him, as we might have respect for one another and for our families and for our children. If we have love for God or for our earthly fathers and we do not have respect, then it will be difficult for us to act as we should or we will not do what we're asked to do. 2 Corinthians 5, it's because of the solemn fear of the Lord, respect for the Lord, which is ever present in our minds that we work so hard to win others. God knows our hearts, that, we, that they are pure in this matter. And I hope that deep within you really know it too. Respect for one another and respect for God. If we respect without love, then we will do what we are asked for the wrong reason. If we respect with love, then we will do what we are asked with joy and gladness to please the other person and because we know that that is right. Do we know and love our Father God in that way? If we try to run from that which he asks of us, Sometimes I'm sure that we do. You remember the story of Jonah? He got himself into all kinds of difficulties because he ran away from what God required him to do. Now then, when love is coupled with respect, we will have the next response, which is obedience. If we, as children of God, love and respect him, we will do the best we can to be obedient to him. Jesus tells us that we will know whom our Father is by how we act. A reading from John 8, from the Living Version. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my Father. 
but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, the Jews declared. No, Jesus replied, for if he were, you would be following his good example. But instead you are trying to kill me. And all because I told you the truth I heard from God. Abraham wouldn't do a thing like that. No, you are obeying your real father when you act that way. They replied, We were not born out of wedlock. Our true father is God himself. Jesus told them, If that were so, then you would love me. For I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own. But he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It is because you are prevented from doing so, for you are all children of your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning and a hater of truth. There is not an iota of truth in him. When he lies, it is perfectly normal, for he is the father of lies. Jesus forcefully told the Jews who claimed that Abraham was their father that he definitely was not because he had been for had he been so they would have been obedient to his teaching. He told them also that because they were rejecting him then they were also rejecting God the father who sent him. In 1 John 5 For this is the love of God, that if we keep his commandments, his commandments are not burdensome. As God's children, if we love and respect him, we also obey him out of love. Just to finish, we begin this day celebrating our relationship with our earthly father. And also in our relationship to our Heavenly Father, our Father God. The ultimate Father provides love, discipline, attention to our physical and our emotional needs. And this is how really it ought to be, ideally, within our own families. As a child of God, we are to respond with love and respect, which leads to obedience. The ultimate Father is God. He has earned our love and respect and obedience. And Scripture exhorts us to give both our earthly fathers and our heavenly Father the love and the respect and the obedience that they deserve. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Without your word, we would not know you. But because you have brought your word into our lives, we know of Jesus. And we thank you that you have brought us into his family 
by your grace and by your love. And we pray that we may go forward from this place and that our hearts and minds may be attuned to and focused upon you. And Father, we also thank you for our earthly fathers. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will help us to know and to feel that love also, both from and to them. In Jesus' name, Amen.